Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. morning's first lesson comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. And it reads as thus, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous and, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God and obeying him. Hold fast to him for that means life to you, length of your day, so that you may live in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The word of God for us, the people of God. Our second lesson today comes from Matthew's Gospel. This is Jesus speaking in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 21. Listen now to the Word of God. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, You fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire." So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. And truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Begin with the end in mind. That is habit number two 
of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Uh, some point in the 1990s, that book came out. I read it then. I still refer to it from time to time. And I will hear that phrase begin with the end in mind used in various places. And in many respects, that phrase was a lifesaver to me midweek. It began simple enough. Uh, Reverend Alvis and I were talking through the Sundays in February and speaking and preaching, and I offered to preach this Sunday. You kind of get two in a row that way. And um, that seemed very simple. And as a series on stewardship had concluded and Lent was coming, I simply went to the lectionary to look at the Scriptures. I've made reference to that before. It's a three-year three year cycle of going through Old Testament with a lesson and then a psalm and then something from the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles. And some Sundays, uh, they flow very well. And some Sundays, you're going, how did they ever put those verses together? Well, this one actually looked all good. And um, so I said, this is great. So I, I went to, we've got a wonderful library, by the way. I want to give another plug for that. Uh, I went to our resources in our library, had the books, had the commentaries, looking it up, researching, taking the notes, and I couldn't get it to come together. I had wonderful amounts of research on my papers, but a form, a method could not come, and I was getting it very flustered, not in a good mood. And then I thought, begin with the end in mind. And so for starters, I'm going to go to a Scripture passage that was not read, but I was going to conclude, well, I'm going to start with that. Go back to how it connects to Matthew, and believe it or not, I'm going to connect it back to Deuteronomy. And I'm going to do the same with our application point. But first things first, even though I'm beginning with the end in mind, there's a section in Paul's, of Paul that was also assigned to this Sunday. It is 1 Corinthians 3. And while the whole passage is 1 through 9, I'm only going to look at a part of it. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. And he says, uh, first is talking about, I really can't talk to you as grown-ups. You're acting like children. I only give you milk, not solid food. You're not ready for it. As long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving according to human inclinations? For one says, I belong to Paul, and another to Apollos. Are you not merely human? The church in Corinth was a hot mess, plain and simple. And some of you know some of the backstory there. They had four groups disagreeing amongst themselves. It wasn't side one and side two. It was sides one, two, three, and four. One group who had known Paul, I guess knew him pretty well, said, well, we belong to Paul. We are of Paul. But another group said, we are of Apollos. Now, Paul had preached there, and then later another fellow had come and spoken to the people named Apollos. From what we know in Scripture, he's a good guy. He's very polished. Uh, probably a better preacher than Apollos, and uh, in a good way, I would say he may be a bit, a bit flashy. And so people liked his style and his ways. That's the one for me. Another group says, we are of Peter. 
Now, again, this is speculation. It may have been Jewish believers in the, in the, in the worshiping community there. Those that liked more the, the Jewish way that they're entitled and, and entitled and entwined with their roots, um, that they preferred it that way. Another group said, well, we belong to Christ. Now, whether it was a group thinking, we're just above it all, or was it a group saying, y'all, we're just tired of this debate. Let's, we're just all about Jesus, okay? It could go either way. We haven't tried to read between the lines and, and look at the history there. But anyway, four groups are battling with each other. Not only that, there's an open sexual scandal going on. It's not being addressed. People are being ugly to one another. Um, and they're trying to one-up each other with their gifts, saying, my gift is better than your gift type of thing. Many of us know that famous love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is not arrogant. Uh, many of you all had it uh, that are married had it read at your weddings. As this is the Sunday before Valentine's Day, more than one preacher is preaching from that chapter as the default. You know, that's what you do on the Sunday uh, before Valentine's. When Paul wrote that chapter to the Corinthians, he's not saying, y'all got this. I mean, he's not saying, you got it, you're doing great. He is taking them to task. When he says, love is patient, he's saying, and y'all aren't patient. When it says, love is kind, and y'all aren't being kind. Y'all are not, y'all are being arrogant. He is taking them to task. And the Greek is second person plural, so it was y'all. And I would not be surprised if he was going to write it in southern speak, he would use the emphatic plural, which is all y'all. <laughs> Don't think anybody's not on my list. All y'all got to work on this. This was the hot mess in which they find themselves. Taking it back to Matthew is a way of addressing a hot mess like that in advance. Matthew is written to a primarily Jewish audience. Um, believe that Mark, um, Roman, uh, Luke is written to Greek, G John being the latest one, to a group that's been Christian for a generation. Uh, each has their own particular angle, and each gospel is presented as such. Matthew is divided into five sections of teaching. There's five big red sections where Jesus is teaching. If you got the red letter Bibles, you will see it as such. And the first one is the Sermon on the Mount. And yes, there's a belief that it was arranged that way, five sections, because there are five books of the law. And the first section is the Sermon on the Mount, which begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are they, blessed are they. But that's just the kickoff. That's just the first five minutes. There's a whole football game to be played, and that's chapter 5, 6, and 7. Later in 5, Jesus sets the stage and says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He goes to the heart of the Ten Commandments and takes it to another level. And so in our section here, he's saying it's more than just thou shalt not kill. It's what's going on inside, and he's taking it to the next level. He's talking about, you know, again, you, you make sure you never kill the person. That's great, fine, and dandy. 
but what are you calling the person? What are you saying about the person? And if you've got an issue with somebody, make peace with that person. Reconcile. He said, if you're at odds with a brother or sister, leave your gift at the altar and go and make peace. Some of you may know, remember, our former executive presbyter, Paul Luthman. Remember an example he gave, and I don't know if it, while he was preaching here one Sunday or in another setting, but he spoke about his boyhood in northwest New Jersey. His father was a Presbyterian pastor, and uh, they were in a part of New Jersey, um, it was actually very rural. Now, I think of New Jersey, I just think of Newark, uh, but there's more to it than that. And uh, there was some community issue going on there and involved another dairy farmer, and his father and that farmer had been at odds. Again, it wasn't a, a church issue, it was something going on in the community. And his father knew that Communion Sunday was coming up. He said, before I can celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion in my church, I've got to make peace with you, and called him up, and they had their discussion. It's something like that is what he is talking about, keeping those short accounts, the importance of making peace with your brother or sister. And I'll be honest, it's scriptures like that which challenge me the most. I know there was one saint of this church said words to the effect, it's not the scriptures that I don't understand that bother me, it's the scriptures that I do understand that bother me. Others have said that, and I would agree, this is the stuff. <laughs> this is the stuff that bothers me, that challenges me, and that makes me think and pray and saying, Lord, what do I do? But to understand this, you have to go back to Deuteronomy, and I'm going to make that connection. Deuteronomy, Greek, it means the second law giving. The people, it's set as set to the people, the Hebrew people, as they are perched on the border of the promised land. For all of their history, though they have known, I mean, it goes back, they knew that they were once in the promised land, but for centuries, their history has been life in Egypt, first as resident aliens and doing very well, and then the period of slavery, then the period of exodus, and then the period of being in the wilderness. And it's going to be a new ball game as they enter the promised land. You're taking back the land that was, that is yours, and you're going to be settled there. And what kind of people are you going to be in that place? How are you going to live your lives? What kind of people will you be? And Deuteronomy is set up as a series of speeches by Moses to the people, setting up life in this new land for them. Imagine you're an expectant parent or a new parent, and someone who's been there and done that sits down and gives you some advice. One point, um, as a young fellow, and uh, my grandmother Dalton's, and uh, something I was doing, and Daddy was getting ready to correct me, and my granny said, don't make an issue out of everything. And Daddy thought, you made an issue out of everything growing up, but you've learned from it. And he said, boy, that got you out of more spankings than you'll ever know. Listening to that person who has gone ahead, preparing for marriage and talking with a friend uh, who's got a few years or decades 
Oh, and getting their perspective. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe it had been through, in part, your own fault. But now you've got a second chance with a new job, and a seasoned worker sits down and gives you some advice. Think of that kind of, mind, that kind of setting as, Paul, as, Paul, excuse me, as Moses is speaking to the people. What path will you take? In this particular section of this particular speech, he's letting them know, are you going to take the path that God has directed for you, or are you going to go your own way? Taking it back to that. His question, how shall we live? Matthew saying, this is how you live amongst yourselves. You got one of the things, you got an issue, make peace with that person in 1 Corinthians 13, I mean 3, we see they didn't get it, and they need to get it. They need to make peace. Now, how does this apply to us? Typically, you make your point, you talk about your application, and then you give a really cool example. Well, I'm going to begin with the end in mind. I'm going to start with my cool example and work my way back and connect the points. There's a book I've heard talked about in various settings, it's the, inter- the authors being interviewed on this podcast and that podcast. The title is The Vanishing Neighbor, and the author is Mark Dunkelman. Now, to a degree, this is nothing new, talking about people not knowing their neighbors, the people within like four or five houses even around them. That's been documented really for decades now, and much of that goes back to just post-war, post-World War II mobility. You may even know the old joke about IBM. It stands for I've been moved. And people that knew every five to six years, they would go somewhere else and so only invested so much into relationships. I mean, that piece has been going on. You don't know your neighbors because every two years they change. But even in that case, in a community, one could get to know a network of neighbors in a figurative sense. These were the people that you knew through school and PTA, through the civic groups with which you were connected, through sports. Not only your children, maybe you were in a bowling league, and even people that you knew in church. These were people of the middle ring. And Dunkelman's point is that the middle ring in society is vanishing. That inner ring are those tight, small group of friendships and family relationships. And you, we said we still do a good job of keeping up with them. If anything, technology can be a help. I mean, I can send a text to my sister like that. I don't have to worry if she's, you know, she's in school um, or she's busy at the grocery store or something like that. I can get a message to her. She can get a message back to me. We can stay in really good communication. And there are a lot of tools to help us develop what he calls people in our outer rings of relationships. Some of you all are on LinkedIn, and you've got those professional connections. And these are people you may see once or twice, or at least you you know you can ask them a question professionally. Within our worlds of Facebook, uh, now we have our tight folks, but we also have people that, oh, I met you at a conference, or we're both in the Red Sox fans group on Facebook or something like that. Uh, I mean, I have 700 friends on Facebook. I don't think I literally have 700 friends, though I would like to be friends with just about all of them. But anyway, um, that's the outer ring. With the inner ring, 
If you've got an issue, you've got the social capital. You can deal with it. With an outer ring, just quit following them. You know, don't see their posts, will not show up on your feed. Those are things that you can do to control that when you don't engage with them. But it's the middle ring that is the hard one. You know them to a degree, and so efforts to build relationship, make peace if there's a disagreement, will take more effort and energy. And people just don't want to invest in that. There are things that work against investing in that. As a result, another book that came out called Bowling Alone that stated there are more people bowling today than ever before. And bowling leagues are shrinking. Nobody will commit to a bowling league. They'd rather go out and bowl alone or randomly bowl with one or two people. It's that middle ring that is suffering the most. And the church is one of those middle ring places. Again, here, many of you have got really inner ring relationships here. You've got history together, good history. And there are people here, they're part of your inner ring. But for a lot of us, it's also a lot of middle ring relationships. And we don't always work that hard or make that effort to build those, to build those networks. And again, it applies elsewhere in our community. Jesus calls us, in effect, to make peace with one another. Not only that inner ring, but also that middle ring of relationships. This call is more than a call simply to be nice to one another. This is a call to build our relationships. Jesus calls us and the Holy Spirit nudges us and equips us at the time, just like the Spirit worked in the father of Paul Luthman to let him make that phone call, to make that effort. Just like the Holy Spirit has nudged me, because you know just about every time I talk about forgiveness, I got to talk about the latest story of somebody I forgave, because, you know, I got a list, <laughs> a novel. But anyway… The Holy Spirit nudges, and the Holy Spirit makes it possible for me to build and build that bridge. It is difficult, but God gives us the strength that we can build those bridges, that we can make peace, and that we can build this community. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.